tonight's thought. It's funny how sometimes a certain mood or a context can make you feel support for the most unlikely of characters. You know what I mean? Yeah, so there I was, and it was Christmas time, and I was in New York City at the Plaza Hotel, which is every bit as nice as I had always thought it was ever since I first saw it in the movie Home Alone 2. You know, the Plaza Hotel is the hotel where Macaulay Culkin stays in that movie when he goes to New York and he gets lost there. And uh, in the lobby, he actually runs into Donald Trump making a cameo in that film, who is now uh, our president. And I think it's weird because the first time I knew about the Plaza Hotel was from watching Home Alone with Donald Trump in it. And now here I am at Christmas time at the Plaza Hotel, years later, attending Donald Trump's Christmas party. And I'm merry and excited. And I have my special gold-plated invitation to join him and his wife, Melania Trump, and his children and uh, that creepy little uh, son-in-law of his, Jared Kushner. Uh... And I go to the elevator, and I hand it to the bellman, and he uh, accepts my invitation and uh, opens the, uh, you know, pushes the button, and I get on the elevator, and I go up to the top floor to the presidential suite. And I go in there, and it's just a beautiful Christmas scene. You know, there's holly everywhere, and, and, and garland, and there's, like, 18,000 Christmas trees, and it's snowing outside, one of those wonderful, snowy New York nights in December. And I walk up there, you know, and there's people everywhere, heads of state, dignitaries, celebrities. The guy from that show, The Tiger King, on Netflix, is there. I can't remember his name. Joe, is it Joe? It's Joe Exotic is there. The guy from the Tiger King. And he, he doesn't have any of his tigers with him or anything, but he's dressed in like a, what looks to be like a suede, like leopard, leopard jacket with like, you know, yellow with black spots all over it. And he's throwing like confetti everywhere or glitter or something kind of like Rip, Rip Taylor used to do. He's throwing it all over the place. And he comes up to me and he's like, Mike! And he gives me a big old bear hug. Joe Exotic from the Tiger King show. And he's like, I've got a Christmas present for you. And he like brings out this like odd, uh, like indigo wig. And he just puts this wig on me. And then he just like throws glitter in my face, blinding me. But I'm not mad at him. I'm so excited because it's Christmas and here we all are, heads of states and dignitaries and stars of Netflix shows at Donald Trump's Christmas party at the Plaza Hotel in New York City. You know? What a what a time to be alive. 
And I walk up to a big gathering of people. And as I'm walking into the crowd, they slowly separate. And I'm like Moses parting the Red Seas of, you know, black ties and tuxedos with tails. And in the sea of all this black and white is a big shock of blonde hair. You just see it. And it's Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, turning around to me. And he's right there, and his wife Melania is is next to him, and she's as beautiful as she could ever be. And she instantly sees me, and she's like, Oh, Mike, you made it. I'm so happy. Isn't my Christmas party really very fun? That's a bad impression. Listen, nobody could do a great impression of Melania Trump because she's just that great. When I do it, I sound like a, a wild and crazy guy, but uh, you just have to, you have to trust me. Melania Trump is just an amazing, amazing presence, an amazing voice. And I just, I'm, I'm suddenly just filled, like all of this contempt that I've always felt for these people. You know, ever since uh, Donald Trump announced that he was running for office, and I, I thought it was a joke, you know, he's done this before, and then suddenly he started gaining traction, and he started saying stupid things, and, and using Twitter as this platform to just spew hate. I, I always hated him for that, but the second that I saw Melania Trump, even before I saw the man that she was standing next to, this president of our country, it all just faded away. And somebody once told me years ago, I think it was in college, it was like an intro to communications class. Somebody once told me that many people, there have been studies done, that many people, when they see a president in person, they're like 90% more likely to like them. Maybe not vote for them, but have a different uh, view of them. You know, because they see them and they're people. You know, this president may be shorter than you, right? He may have like a soft handshake or something like that. Uh, There may just be something that just humanizes this person when you actually see them right there up close and personal. And this is what happened with me and Donald Trump. Because as soon as I saw Donald and he's like, hello, Michael, nice to meet you. That sounded more like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But, you know, he shook my hand and his handshake was firm. And I just immediately like just had this feeling that like I misunderstood the guy the whole time, all these years at the Plaza Hotel, you know, in New York City at Christmas time, mid December, wearing a wig and covered in glitter that Joe Exotic, the Tiger King on Netflix, had covered me in, you know. And then I woke up. Clearly, it was a dream. I was not at Donald Trump's Christmas party at the Plaza Hotel. Um, I don't even think the Plaza Hotel is really happening anymore. I'm pretty sure the Plaza Hotel, you know, like Elaine's, is dead in New York culture. I don't know. But, you know, the weird thing is, though, I woke up from the dream and that feeling stayed with me. I woke up 
uh, a Trump supporter. You know, I woke up feeling this weird kinship with the man, you know, and uh, just for, I don't know, about like, uh, you know, probably a good two or three minutes or something. I felt really good. And then I got up and I, I had my coffee. Now we're back to normal. So, well, from Birmingham, Alabama, this is the Midnight Citizen Show. I'm your host, Mike Booty. Welcome in. Nice to nice to have you guys tonight. After two weeks off, and here we are at the end of summer. This bummer summer of 2020, where just nothing has gone right. It's just been so so screwed up in so many ways. You know. And, uh, yeah, I was not, I wasn't, I wasn't in the studio last weekend. You know, I've been doing a show every, uh, every Saturday night, uh, throughout the entire summer, more or less. I think I missed one or two here and there, but yeah, just, just a whole lot of stuff. And, um, I think I wrote, yeah, I wrote it down. I've done nine, nine episodes of the Midnight Citizen show this year after taking a three year break, you know? And, um, Last weekend I was off because I just realized that here we are at the end of the summer. I, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to start teaching again this week. And I haven't taken any vacations at all, because primarily because most places that I wanted to go on vacation, uh, I'm not allowed to go because I'm from Alabama and we have a high infection rate of COVID-19 here. And uh, if we go anywhere, we have to quarantine for 14 days before we're allowed to do anything. So I, just, I didn't want to do that. So... But we went up to Tennessee, uh, you know, a state that has just as high an infection rate as Alabama does. And uh, we were we were welcome up there. I don't know. We went camping for a couple days, my wife and I. So anyway, it's good to be back here in the Midnight Citizen studio for uh, for another show. But it's funny that I had that dream. I've been having a lot of really uh, bizarre dreams lately. And this usually happens uh, around the time I go back to school when there's a lot of uh, stress and pressure starting to build up. And uh, it's nowhere near the level it was the first year that I began teaching when I had to go in and essentially I I had uh, six classes to prepare for, six different preps. You know, there were there were all four English classes. I was also teaching government and economics, and I was teaching a an elective a, a research class that first year. And so, uh, I I had a ton of stuff to do that first year. But it does get easier each year, you know, because you suddenly have like a whole curriculum to uh, to build off of. So I, it's not as stressful this year, you know. But I do start to have dreams when I get stressed. Out, I at the beginning of the pandemic, when the world was just really losing its 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 mind, uh, I was I was having some nightmares, and I don't know about you or or not, but I was ha- I was having really terrible nightmares uh, at the beginning of uh, the pandemic. So, and now I'm starting to have them again. But um, 
I don't know, a, a Christmas party at President Trump's place. That's not so bad. I, I'll take that, I guess. Why not? But it is weird, though, because I, I woke up, you know, with this um, sympathy for, for, for President Trump, in a way. And this, uh, you know, I had met him in person, and, and suddenly I felt, like, different. And it made me just think and and last night i was hanging out with some friends and we were talking about this thing that you can do that almost like when you put almost anything into a certain light you know can it can it can you justify yourself enjoying it or liking it or appreciating it there's somebody having a fight outside my apartment right now but anyway but yeah, a certain mood or a context can make you feel support for the most unlikely, you know, of characters. And and this was what happened is that for the last uh, four or five years, however long it's been, I've always had this, uh, you know, context of President Trump is crazy. He gets on Twitter and he spews hate and he gets people to gang up on 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 uh, on minorities who show up at his rallies to to to, to protest him. And then in my dream, I just had this weird imagined scenario of actually meeting the guy, and I just felt completely different about it, so. And yeah, last night I was talking with my friends about how I really am in a position right now where I don't like most... I don't enjoy most entertainment that uh, that that comes out. That's uh, part of the sort of you know mainstream, and I, I always have. And I'm not, you know not to try not to sound like a snob or anything, but I do like a lot of entertainment. You know, like the Tiger King show. I like the Tiger King, even though I came away from that show totally despising him. But in the weird way, you know, when I met him at the. Uh, at Donald Trump's Christmas party, I liked him because he greeted me and he all he wanted to do is give me glitters and wigs and, and, and stuff like that. I think I confused the Tiger King in my dream with uh, Rip Taylor's cameo in Wayne's World, too. I'm, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but we were talking about how... Like the Avengers movies, for instance. Let's let's just take the Avengers movies. I, I do not like those movies at all. You know, they 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 annoy me. They're loud. They're bombastic. They're nothing but special effects. You know, Robert Downey Jr. gets paid, or I guess he did get paid. You know, millions of dollars to show up for probably three days in a studio that's just wall to wall chroma key somewhere in Burbank, California. And they just film his face, and then they, they put it on this big screen. He just gets paid millions of dollars to do that. And to me, whenever I see these Avengers movies, you know, I just think about everything that's kind of wrong with, um, with the Hollywood system, with the way that movies were made. And, and, and I don't need to go in a rant against that, but, you know. And I always argue with my friends about it because they don't really necessarily like them any better than I do, most of them. But they also say, you got to give them a break. You know, you got to give these Avengers movies a break. Just think about it, okay? It's kind of like sitting on your parents' couch on a Saturday morning, pigging out on cereal and chocolate milk, and just watching the world's most expensive Saturday morning cartoon. 
And, you know, I, I thought about that for a second. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, because when I go see these movies, I'm thinking of like, I'm, I'm comparing them against all of these great summer movies that I, I went and saw when I was, uh, you know, a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s where you would go every year and there would be like this concept, this new concept that would be sold to you. Like, I know that that's really hard to like imagine today, but just imagine back in the day you would go like, what's this movie about this guy who's like shrinking his kids and everything. And ah, yeah, that sounds like kind of funny. I'll go see that. You know, so you went and saw honey. I shrunk the kids and it was a great movie. And what's this movie about these dinosaurs on this Island here. And, and they, they break out, and eat people, man. Wow. That sounds crazy. I'll go see that. You know, you know, there were, there weren't brands like there are now. Of course, there were still sequels, you know, but there aren't, there weren't as many brands back then as there are now. Like every single thing that comes out is a, is a brand of some kind that, uh, you know, you probably already own something of it or you've seen something connected to it and, and all that. And I, and I know I, again, I'm not trying to get on a rant about this. I, I know I'm not, I'm not trying to kick movies while they're down right now, you know, cause there's serious doubt that any movie is going to be released in theaters between before, you know, next spring or summer or whatever. But, but I, I've always, you know, stacked these Avengers movies up against summer blockbusters that I used to love when I was growing up. And I always said to, you know, I'm worried about kids going to see these movies because, you know, they don't have any diversity. There's no diversity in their entertainment at all. It's just Marvel, 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 or Superman, 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 you know? But again, my friend told me, you know, just think about this, you know, it's the world's most expensive Saturday morning cartoon. You liked Saturday morning cartoons. How many times, Mike, were you watching a Saturday morning cartoon and you stopped watching it and paying attention to it halfway through because you wanted to make up these plots of your own and what was going on your, in your head could not rival, could not possibly rival the cheapness of what was going on on screen. And I was like, yeah, I think I actually think that makes sense. So again, you know, after all these years of just like bitching about these Marvel movies and all this other mainstream entertainment, I think it's like, as long as there's a certain way you look at it under a certain light, it just seems to me to be, you know, you can almost make anything, you know, entertaining. I don't know. think that like most entertainment that we don't get you know maybe we're just looking at it the wrong way this is watching um old episodes of the dana carvey show on hulu which if you've never gotten to see the dana carvey show it is uh, one of the most bizarre gonzo out there sketch comedy shows of the 1990s and it was very daring you know Dana Carvey uh, left Saturday Night Live in his prime. You know, he had all these established characters like uh, Garth. And uh, he had uh, the church lady, you know, Hans and Franz. Uh, Don't ask me which one he was. But he had all of these uh, killer characters, you know, uh, George H.W. Bush that he used to do. You know, not God, not God, you know, wouldn't be prudent, you know. He was the biggest star on Saturday Night Live probably since Eddie Murphy. 
And he left because he got this uh, amazing development deal to, to make a sketch comedy show. And they shopped it around to all of these networks like uh, HBO and Showtime. He didn't want to be on cable because cable is not like it is now where everybody has a subscription. You know, he would have been appealing to a very niche crowd. So he decided to go to ABC. He wanted to do network television, you know, but the problem was, is that, uh, ABC was bought out by, by Disney right after he signed the papers. You know, that's kind of like, um, buying a house. And then the next day finding out that a shopping mall is being built next to that house. (laughs) So, uh, so suddenly the super family friendly network was in charge of the Dana Carvey show. And, Infamously, the first episode began with uh, Dana Carvey doing a very funny impression of Bill Clinton. And uh, Bill Clinton is talking about how he wants to reinvent himself, rebrand himself as the nurturing president. So they built this rig and they put it into Dana Carvey's, uh, you know, Dana Carvey basically rips open his jacket and exposes all of these, you know, nipples that, and and they start shoving dogs into his chest and he starts, you know, breastfeeding (laughs) these dogs. And, um, this was the first five minutes of a show that came right after home improvement, you know? Yeah. You've never seen the Dana Carvey show, uh, you know, I think all the episodes right now are on Hulu, and uh, there's actually also a really great documentary on Hulu as well about the making of that show. So they interview all the people who were involved in the show, and a lot of big people, uh, you know, we know now started on that show, like Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert. That was their first break, you know. But the show only ran for eight episodes, and they only ran seven of them. <laughs> and, uh,. And this is why, because the the show is just so daring and uh, had all these outlandish sight gags. And, um, and it came, it came on after home improvement. And I think so many people just stopped watching the show because uh, essentially every single episode would start out with the show that with a sketch that was so grotesque that it would make, Everybody except the very hardcore viewers, you know, tune it out. So there was a very notorious incident um, on the Dana Carvey show on like episode three or four where it followed an episode of Home Improvement that if, you know, you were maybe in the eighth grade or something in 1996, you'll remember this. There was an episode of Home Improvement that jumped the shark in a big way in a, just an apologetic, unapologetic way. Uh, they had Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who was the hot star on that show. Uh, he got, he got a cancer scare on home improvement. There was an episode where, uh, he went into the doctor and the doctor found like a lump or something. And so it was a very emotional, very tragic, very special episode of home improvement that, uh, was just a ratings hound, um, for, for, uh, you know, for ABC. And of course, all of those people who have been crying over Jonathan Taylor Thomas, possibly dying on home improvement, 
did not want to stick around for uh, the Diet Mug Root Beer Dana Carvey show where he breastfeeds dogs, you know. But, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a sad thing, though, because, again, I think that the Dana Carvey show, like a lot of entertainment, is something that we might all enjoy. It was put together by very talented people. I mean, some of the hottest talent in the world, in the comedy world that we know now, put together that show, but it couldn't survive because it was just, un, you know, unfortunately, it was miscontextualized. People didn't have the right narrative thread. It didn't make sense to them, you know. So, yeah, I highly suggest watching the Dana Carvey show because fortunately we live in a world where all the stuff that we were too young and too naive to accept back in the day, we can now watch it, you know, where it's contextualized a little better. I mean, I, I don't know, honestly, if I... I remember watching a couple episodes of the Dana Carvey show back in the day, I think because I was probably watching Home Improvement, you know? I was 14. <laughs> Sue me. I liked, uh, you know, Tim Allen. I liked his shtick. The way he's like... I don't know. What does he do on that show? Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know. He does that, like, man grunt. You know, and you got Wilson behind the fence. You never see his face or anything. And I always thought that the guy who played Wilson was like horribly disfigured or something, but I didn't realize it was just a gimmick. (laughs) But honestly, I don't know if I would have watched the Dana Carvey show if it had not been contextualized for me with that really good, uh, you know, documentary. You know, because I love documentaries and especially documentaries about old forgotten sketch shows and especially documentaries about failures. You know, I love that stuff. It's, uh, it's my junk food. Speaking about junk food, this is uh, this was my my junk food my my uh, news junk food of the day. You know, sometimes on your phone, I don't even know how it happens, but you just get uh, you just get blasted with articles about things that you do not care about at all about the entertainment industry, and they keep throwing you headlines after headline after headline. Until finally, you just like, God damn it. Okay, finally, I'll fine, I'll open it you know, and read about it so you can stop bothering me about this. You know, like uh, for a while, like for a while last summer, it was all about how Martin Scorsese was uh, dismissing the Marvel films as theme park rides. I don't care about Okay, I understand. Just from that right there, I know exactly what this story is going to be. Okay, so I don't need to read it. But they kept on giving it to me day after day after day on my phone. I had no idea, no way to turn off the notifications to tell them to stop sending me that stuff. I guess I could have figured it out if I wanted to, but I don't know. I guess I like to bitch about it, but, (laughs) you know, and then for a while it was all about Johnny Depp and uh, Amber Heard were in some kind of like a libel lawsuit. Like I I have no idea what's going on there, but my phone kept on like sending me headlines about it. And then this week, it's been all about, you know, Ellen DeGeneres. 
my phone keeps on wanting to tell me about Ellen DeGeneres, Ellen DeGeneres and, and all this. And I was like, whatever, I, I don't even need to. The only thing I know about Ellen DeGeneres this year anyway, is that she has talked about this being the last year of her long running, you know, talk show, you know. Uh, but apparently something has been happening over at the Ellen DeGeneres show where people are claiming that they're, they were mistreated by Ellen, that Ellen's not nice to them or something. Uh, you know, so again, I don't, I mean, I finally just last night opened up my phone and started reading about it. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, uh, and that was, that was just a junk food that was like eating chips at the time and drinking a Coca-Cola and reading about Ellen DeGeneres. So it was just all on all accounts, junk food, you know? So if you don't know who Ellen DeGeneres is, you know, she, uh, you know, she, she made headlines back in the nineties because she, um, a lot of people thought that I guess she was a heterosexual female. And, uh, you know, she had a very successful, uh, sitcom on at the time called Ellen, as was popular in the nineties. If you were a comedian, you had a sitcom about your daily life. And it was named after you, you know, so like Ellen or Seinfeld. Um, those are the only two off the top of my head I can think about, you know. But she was very famous on that show for having an episode where she actually came out of the closet on the air. And uh, it was a huge event. Everybody watched it. And I think it was on ABC at the time also, along with the Dana Carvey show and uh, the Cancer Scare Home Improvement show. So... But uh, Ellen's show, I think what happened was is that that's great that she, uh, you know, uh, came out of the closet. But I think what happened was is that it was revealed to really just be a ratings ploy because the show was on the, you know, downturn. And like a year later or something, her show was canceled. Uh, but she was still a big celebrity. She did a lot of stand up. And a couple of years later, she got her own talk show, which is still running to this day. And uh, it's a talk show that is... Uh, known for being very positive and upbeat, something that you can turn on your television in the middle of the day and just smile along with her, you know, and she's got guests that she's kind of notorious for like surprising on, on set. Like, you know, she'll have a guest sitting there and somebody will pop out of a box that's sitting like right next to him or something like that, which never strikes me as funny. That strikes me as kind of cruel right there. Cause I don't like to be scared. And I mean, you know, how do we know that these celebrities don't have some kind of like a serious heart condition that they're not hiding? But anyway, but, uh, you know, it, it's Ellen DeGeneres has always been, uh, you know, very perceived in the public as being a very kind, very generous, very giving person. And reading this article last night that Vox wouldn't leave me alone with, you know, they kept on talking about how she was, uh, you know, like her, 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 I guess a slogan that she has on her show is be kind. Right. So anyway, so yeah, I'm looking at this uh, article right now on Vox. Let me, uh, put it on the uh, live stream for any of those who are watching. Um, where is it? Ah, shoot. I can't pull it up anyway. Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> so how Ellen DeGeneres' facade of kindness crumbled. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but uh, apparently the uh, allegations are is that uh, she hasn't been paying her staff during the pandemic. You know, she cut her staff back to four people during the pandemic. Okay. Um, 
I think this is a little unfair because during the pandemic, everybody has had to cut back staff. Um, it's a really kind of amazing that I still have a job, honestly. Um, you know, but, uh, a lot of people have, uh, have lost work. My wife has lost work. You know, a lot of people have lost work during this thing. And just because Ellen DeGeneres has a lot of money doesn't mean that, you know, it all goes back into paying her, her staff. Um, I think what they're saying though, is that, uh, she just wasn't communicating with them about when they would get paid. So, you know, obviously that's not something you want to do as a boss, but, you know, this whole thing apparently stems from like last November. She had, she had Dakota Johnson, who is uh, the, the, the daughter of Melanie Griffith and Don Johnson, these two eighties icons, you know, she had uh she was interviewing Dakota Johnson about her birthday party. And I saw the interview. The interview was posted in this article and it's a very, it's so throwaway. She's just, Ellen just wants to know, Dakota, why didn't you invite me to, <laughs> to your birthday party? And Dakota says, I did invite you. I sent you an invitation. You know, th- th- this is an exchange that in, in the life of anyone else living on this planet, who's not on television every day for an hour, uh, would be so throwaway. It would be a throwaway conversation, but because it's on television and uh, it's documented for the record, um, it's uh, it's something that we all have to put under a microscope to be like, oh, Ellen was invited to somebody's party and she lied about you know not getting it. So because apparently what happened was that that very night somebody went and found uh, Ellen DeGeneres' travel itinerary, I guess, because it's that important to them found out that Ellen DeGeneres was at a Houston Astros game on the night of Dakota Johnson's 30th birthday party with uh, sitting next to George H.W. Bush, okay, the former president. And this, of course, brought on further scrutiny for uh, DeGeneres, you know, uh, because DeGeneres, of course, is gay, and there she is. She's sitting next to a former Republican president who's... um, administration supported anti LGBTQ uh, policies. And uh, so apparently they can't be sitting next to each other during lunchtime, I guess, you know? And so it was just, it was um, this article that made me so angry (laughs) that I was getting like, they just weren't letting it go away, you know? And, uh, I don't know. I guess the news that I would say to anybody who's really disturbed by this is that, uh, you know, people on television are not as necessarily nice as they appear. Uh, okay. I don't think that that's really a surprise. Um, I don't think you can be in show business for as long as somebody like Ellen DeGeneres, you know, she's been around since the mid eighties. You know, I have like an old comedy album from the eighties, uh, somewhere in my iTunes or whatever. And Ellen DeGeneres is on it. I don't think you can survive in show business that long without being a little bit cutthroat. You know, I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty normal, but, uh, but, but the, 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 the most shocking thing of this is that, uh, this guy named Kevin T Porter, who is a podcasting, uh, guy, he's a podcaster, um, posted this tweet and it's on this Vox article. He says, right now we all need a little kindness you know, like Ellen DeGeneres always talks about. And then there's these sarcastic emojis. She's also notoriously one of the meanest people alive, he says. Respond to this with the most insane stories you've ever heard about Ellen being mean 
and I'll match every one with a $2 donation to a, to a food bank. All right. Now I got to think about that for a second, because for one, this guy is talking about how the world needs kindness, but here he is openly inviting a character assassination and doing it on a forum like Twitter, which, um, I honestly think that, you know, if anybody is going to come on uh, Twitter and post something like this, then they can't purport to um, support or, you know, not support or protest against somebody like President Trump, you know, because this is kind of the stuff that Trump is always doing. You know, he's always using Twitter as a forum to assassinate people's character. So I'm going to go out on a ledge and just cl- and, and assume because that's what you do on Twitter, you know, that this guy is probably not a Trump supporter. But the idea, though, of giving people an incentive uh, to assassinate somebody's character and go on without any kind of evidence, without any kind of, uh, uh, without any kind of corroboration to back up your story is the most insane uh, just kind of libel and uh, does not get you a special seat next to God in heaven, you know? So, uh, you know, again, why did I start talking about all this? Well, because I think we live in a world where we just context is absolutely everything. And everybody's constantly fighting to make their context known before they can sort of put their content out there. And so for many, many years, Ellen's context has been absolutely untarnished. And there's something that I kind of, I, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be a conspiracy theory guy or anything like this, but this sounds to me, honestly, like if Ellen has talked openly about this being the last year of her show, this very well could be some kind of like an underground smear campaign that's going on here or the fact also there's also the idea that we're living in a world right now where we seem to be purging ourselves of every entertainer from the establishment so that we can make room for a new kind of media, a new kind of entertainment, whatever you want to call it, a new world order of entertainment, I guess. And, um, you know, that could be, that could be just a world full of podcasters and YouTube. I don't know. God, I hope not, because as much as I like podcasting, I don't want more people like me influencing what happens in the world. So, all right, I'm going to go away for a second and uh, enjoy some music. And this is the Midnight Citizen Show. Stick around. We've still got more to talk about. Well, the time has come. I hope that you're ready. Time to get moving. Everybody rock steady. It's time.
And we're back. Hope you enjoyed that music. That was uh, a couple of good, uh, couple of good ditties there. <laughs> a couple of good, like that was uh, kind of like rockabilly music there. First was kind of swing though. It's time by Big Sandy and his Fly Right Boys. I could just picture John Favreau and Vince Vaughn swinging around to that music there in that movie. And following that, we had a song called Rip Van Winkle by Shannon and the Clams. Probably the uh, best rockabilly tune inspired by a uh, short story by Washington Irving. Ken. Ken. Get these effects. Yes. Okay. Well, anyway. Well, hey, everybody. It's Mike. On day one of our show, I told everyone in our first meeting that the Midnight Citizen would be a place of happiness, a place of respect. No one would ever raise their voice and everyone would be treated as they wanted to be treated. Obviously, something changed, and I am disappointed to learn that this has not been the case. And for that, I am sorry. Anyone who knows me knows it's the opposite of what I believe and uh, what I hope for the show. So, stay safe and healthy. Mike, the, uh, the Midnight Citizen Booty. just searched uh on the internet for boilerplate apology letter and that was it because it just seems like every single week we're just hearing a new apology and i know that these are very serious issues that have to be addressed you know one one claim that uh is coming out of this whole ellen fiasco is uh that uh senior producers are you know sexually harassing low level low level staffers at the Ellen show and, and Ellen either doesn't know anything about this or, uh, you know, she's complicit. She's knowing something. She's not saying anything. This is the old, uh, you know, Jerry Sandusky thing, you know? So, uh, I really, I, I don't know. I, I hope none of this is true, but, uh, you know, at least for, for their sake, for the people who are making these allegations. And, uh, you know, if they're untrue, then I feel bad for Ellen, but I don't know. I guess I guess the thing is is that uh, I don't know. One of the reasons I opened that article was not just to engage in some kind of journalistic junk food, but because I do, I I, I care about Ellen. You know, I'm not going to be like that YouTube kid who's like, you know, leave Ellen alone. You know, I'm not going to be like that at all. I'm glad I have a compressor here. That would have gotten a lot louder. But uh, yeah. Um. But uh, I've always I've always liked Ellen DeGeneres a lot, even back in the 80s or the 90s, you know, when I was going to church and everybody was telling me at church, you know, not to watch her show. You know, it's it's a filthy show. Um, 
uh, I, I liked her. You know, I, I respected her because I thought she was, as long as she's funny, I don't care. You know, anyway, uh, you know, that, that was my experience going to church in the 1990s that I, I was constantly being told like to hate things and not watch certain shows on television. And for one, at one moment I was told not to go to Disney world and I was like, well, I'm not going to Disney world anyway. It's too expensive, but you know, so but, you know, the weird thing is, though, is that uh, Ellen DeGeneres, you know, because she comes on five days a week now, she's been doing it for the last, uh, I don't know, 20 years or something like that. Uh, she's appreciated this kind of, uh, or she, she's enjoyed this kind of, uh, you know, camaraderie with the, with, the, with the conservative Christian community. It's very strange uh, because they went from just being really cold to her in the 90s to suddenly she's coming out she's like you know dancing with the crowd and she's not making like i think everybody was just afraid that they were going to make her gayness part of her act or something that's what she was going to do but she's not you know she's she's she just seems to be like a very harmless innocent person all the time and and uh you know she i guess she was just kind of like the cool gay celebrity that christians could get with for all these years and and all that and I think that that's all the more reason to think that there may be something a little bit more sinister going on behind the scenes to discredit Ellen. But for years, it was a very common thing to hear from like these, you know, conservative Christian good old boys here in the South. You know, they would always say things like this, you know, that Ellen, you know, I don't care what you say about her. I, I don't care what she does. You know, it's just she is awesome. She's just funny. She's a funny, funny lady. And I don't care who she lays down with. I don't care who her girlfriend is, anything like that. You can say whatever you want to. She's just funny. And so they would always like have that caveat that you know they had to mention her personal life in relation to how funny she is. And, and that was a, that's a weird double standard because that's generally not what, you know, happens uh, that's the kind of thing you say with like Bill Cosby, you know, like, Hey, you know, Bill Cosby, I got to tell you, I know he did some wrong things, but he is funny. He is very, in those old jello pudding pop commercials, he was funny. You know, it's like, you always have to say that when you talk about criminals, you know, disgraced criminals, but, uh, you know, Ellen though, it's like everybody down here has always treated her as if she's some kind of like, she's got that skeleton in her closet that we all know about. But God damn it, she's just awesome. She's just funny. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think that that's, um, you know, that's... And now I don't know what all those Southern good old boys are going to say about Ellen. They're probably just going to be like, you know what? I knew it all along. I knew it all along. <laughs> have I gone on too long about Ellen? Yeah, I have. I have. But, uh, you know, it's been on my mind today. What, what can I say, you know? Let's talk about something else. Okay, so we're going to do a toast here in just a second. And uh, like the last episode, you know, where we uh, did a sad toast, we did a, a sad toast to the passing of Regis Philbin. I'm afraid we're going to have to do the same thing this week. Um, to a, a very, I, wouldn't, I won't say he's a celebrity. I will say he's a very notorious individual here in Alabama who passed away a couple of weeks ago. This man, this gentleman named uh, Harvey Updike, Anybody who is a fan of Alabama football or the Paul Feinbaum show here in uh, Alabama knows who Harvey Updike is. But um, Harvey Updike um, is uh, the world's most deranged 
or was the most uh, deranged Alabama football fan. So um, I went to the University of Alabama, and uh, they've won a lot of national championships. Now, I am not, you know, a big Alabama football fan, right? And I went down to the University of Alabama not being a big football fan, but I know that there are a lot of people uh, in my circle of friends who are big Alabama football fans. So if I screw up anything here, okay, cut me some slack a little bit, but I know who Harvey Updike is as little as I know about Alabama football. I know who Harvey Updike is, you know, in, um, 2010, uh, there was a very contentious iron bowl, um, that was, that was played. Now the iron bowl, again, for those uninitiated into the world of the Southeastern conference, um, is, is a game that's played every single year between rivals, the university of Alabama and, University of Auburn, okay? And so they're both Alabama universities, and they, they, they meet on the gridiron, you know, usually in November at the end of the season, the regular season, to play a game. And it's a, it's a no matter where either team, you know, is in the standings, it's always a very important game because it's like everybody in Alabama has one team, Alabama or Auburn. And I always get asked that question, you know, by anybody new that I meet here in <laughs> Alabama, they always ask me, you know, because it's a way of breaking the ice. Of course, in Alabama, we don't have much ice, but it's a way of breaking it anyway. You know, they say, are you an Alabama or an Auburn fan? So my standard stock answer is, well, I went to the Alabama, and they're like, hell yeah, roll tide. <laughs> it's like, and well, let me finish. I went to the University of Alabama. Oh, my God, don't say it. No, I just don't really care that much. Oh, my God. For a second there, I thought you were going to say Auburn. Hey, you like Ellen? <laughs> you know? So, I just don't care. I didn't care, you know, about the about Alabama football. But down there, it was really impossible to get away from. So, so anyway, I graduated from the University of Alabama in 2006, right? And then four years later, 2010, there was an Iron Bowl where Alabama and Auburn met up, and I, I guess Auburn won that game. Uh, Auburn won the game. And this man named Harvey Updike calls into this very popular sports talk show a few a few days later. The guy's name is Paul Feinbaum. I think this is actually a couple months later, because the Iron Bowl is played in November, and he calls up in early January. And Harvey Updike, well, I'm just, maybe I should just play the call for you. I'm just going to play the call. So this is a very famous call in the history of Alabama football. All right, so I should say this, okay, before I play this clip, that every time Auburn uh, wins a big game, they go to their campus quad, and there's these trees there um, at this intersection. It's called Tumor's Corners, and they roll the trees. It never makes sense because when to me, when you you know when you roll something you usually do it to spite somebody, you know, but they, they roll their own trees. I I don't understand that. It's like spitting on your own floor to me. Somebody has got to clean that up, but anyway, they do it. And so they roll, they, they take toilet paper and they, you know, throw it on the trees and and all that. It's supposed to mark their big victory. Um, So after Auburn won this iron bowl, all the people in Auburn went to tumors corners and they rolled the trees so a couple months later in early January, Paul Feinbaum on his very popular, you know, afternoon sports talk show 
gets this call. So I'll play this now. Al is in Dadeville, Alabama. Hey, Al. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Well, thanks. Um, I should say, by the way, that he called in under the name Al. And Al, of course, is the name of the Alabama Crimson Tide mascot, which is an elephant, you know, big Al. So. When Bear Bryant died, I was living in Texas, and I really didn't understand the Alabama-Auburn rivalry. Uh, but a good friend of mine that lived in uh, Birmingham sent me a copy of the newspaper showing the uh, Auburn students rolling Tumor's Corner celebrating Bryant's death. Now stop, 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 stop. I, 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 even though I know what you just got through saying, and even though I know you're quoting from a newspaper, I, I just have the most difficult time ever believing that Auburn students rolled Tumor's Corner when the news broke that Coach Bryant died. Does anyone else remember that? I don't. Do you want me to send you a copy? of? I still have a newspaper clipping. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of awkward here. because I'm not doubting your, your truthfulness. I'm just, are, are, are you guys in the other room in as much shock as I am? That, that, that is just one of the most shocking things I've ever heard. I, I, do, I do not want to believe that is true. Okay, let me finish my story. Okay. This year I was at the uh, Iron Bowl. There's no way that could be true. Well, okay. This year, I was at the Iron Bowl. Okay. And I saw where they put a Scam Newton jersey on Bear Bryant's statue. Okay. And again, that's 28 years later. Okay. Well, let me tell you what I did. The weekend after the Iron Bowl, I went to Auburn, Alabama, because I lived 30 miles away, sure. and I poisoned the two tumors trees. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fair. I put Spike 80 DL in them. Did they die? Do what? Did they die? They're not dead yet, but they they, will they, they, they definitely will die. Is that against the, the law to poison a tree? Well, do you think I care? No. Okay, I really don't. Okay. Roll down tide. So, so... <laughs> Uh, so that's what that, that, that call, which sounded like it was a prank, you know, cause you could hear Paul Feinbaum kind of laughing it off and he's like, okay, that's fair. You know, somebody puts a, the Jersey of the Auburn quarterback on the statue of, you know, the university of Alabama's greatest coach, probably the greatest football coach in college history. And in retaliation, you drive down to Auburn and uh, poison two trees that have been standing there for generations. <laughs> so, uh, the guy, it was a tree. It actually happened. He poisoned those two trees. They ended up having to cut them down. There was a big investigation to the fact that like, did the poison seep down into the water table? Cause it could have poisoned the water supply. Uh, it was a, it was a big thing. The guy ended up going to a uh, jail for a certain time. And I think he eventually got out like a year later, served probation. He had to pay money back, but he died last week at the age of 71. And so the guy is uh Harvey Updike is is that's that's what his name turned out to be, right? Uh Harvey Updike uh was such a big Alabama fan that he named his daughter uh Crimson, you know. He named his son Bear after of course Bear Bryant. And he uh decided to go down and uh, poison you know these two trees after uh, after a after a auburn beat his team so you know it it obviously generated a lot of press down here and especially at the national level about 
just the extent the the just the the extent of the fandom you know in Alabama over football and when I was at the university I certainly saw it you know you it's like it it can get very very nasty on game days down there especially if if it's an iron bowl you know there are you know fights can break out it's a very touchy time uh, over this thing and it's something that growing up in Alabama it never really just got to me I never really understood it that much because to me it's one of these things that like I understand pride for your school and I understand pride for your country but um, your entire life being decided over something that ultimately you have no stake in the outcome of is never never really I never understood that and I mean people have yet to be able to explain it for me. I, I, I guess it's just something that you sort of just have to organically grow into. But I also think though, that throughout this, um, throughout history, there have certainly been, you know, attaching yourself to something that you have no control over is kind of a good substitute in a way for mental illness. Like you can't deal with your own problems inside your head so you would rather deal with something else that you have no control over, you know? So I, I think that that may, that may be it. So, um, I actually found this afternoon, uh, Harvey Updike actually called fine Paul Feinbaum back on November 8th, 2019. Okay. And so this is the last time I believe he talked to Feinbaum. This is years later. He's been out of jail for years, but he's still, you know the, the the interesting thing about this about this whole mess is that it actually brought Alabama and Auburn kind of closer together. It almost gave them a sense of like a like a like a ceasefire for a brief time. Alabama fans raised money to uh, to take care of the trees down at Tumor Corner to to to, to replant new ones. So uh, yeah, here here he is on the Paul it. Feinbaum show last November. You didn't mean it. You went to a store and bought. Poison? You poisoned trees and you didn't mean it? Paul, they're only trees. Not like I tried to kill, tried to kill their, their crow thing that flies around. Or, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't try to kill uh, LSU's uh, tiger. Harvey, you still there? We've had this conversation privately, but we're going to have it publicly. You still don't get it, do you? Oh, Paul, I, mean, I, I get it. I'm not as dumb as I look. <laughs> supposed to be a joke. I mean, you, uh, I you, get it you, very. Paul, I get it very much. I know I mean, exactly you, you, what's going Harvey, on. Harvey, you you destroyed something <laughs> that is near and dear to an entire university and its fan base. And you're coming on this program right now and laughing about it, joking about it, and 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 casting aspersions toward this school. When I mean, you broke a lot of people's heart when you poisoned those trees. And I, I don't know that many Alabama fans. I don't know, frankly, know any Alabama fans who think who thought it was a good idea either. Well, I know a few, but most of them. You're right. Most of them didn't. But I didn't do it for the University of Alabama. I, I did it. I did it for me, Paul. And, uh, you know, yeah, it was wrong. Uh, you know, 
Well, you just I've got through saying they're just, Harvey, you just got through saying they're just trees. They are. That's all they were. I mean, they act like there was a living person or something. Those trees were wow. near and dear to many people's hearts. They were they were a part of their heritage. Uh, they're, they're also national monuments. I don't know about all that now. I didn't see no sign up that said it was national monument. Well, oh, I mean, can I ask uh, you I mean, a question? You can ask me anything you want, Harvey. Okay. Why are you hacking on me so much? Because I think you're an idiot, Harvey. I, I think you're a lunatic. Because you, you, you <laughs> can't. Jesus. So, you guys out there may know more about Harvey Updike than I do, but uh, I am going to drink a toast to the guy because I think he was just misguided. I don't think any rational person would do something like that. Again, this is this is what I'm talking about tonight. This is the night of looking at people and lo- looking at certain things in context with the with the with the with a different point of view, you know. I don't think Harvey Updike was a guy who cared so much about one thing in his life that he had to poison trees over it. I think he was just a mentally ill person who needed an outlet. So wherever he is, I hope that he finally got the help he needed. So raise your glasses. This is to Harvey Updike, dead at 71. So, so, I'm about to read a poem here in just a minute. We're not going to take a trip to the Video Street Video Store tonight in the interest of kind of, I, I just, you know, we watched two videos just now and I, uh, just in the interest of keeping the show a little bit shorter tonight, I'm going to read a poem, Okay. And this poem is called 10 Things I Hate About You, COVID. Because here we are, and it's, uh, it's, it's early August, and I'm about to return back to school. And uh, I was really thinking here that back in uh, March, you know, when this whole thing happened, that uh, we were going to be totally fine by this time. And uh, we were all going to go inside for a few weeks and this, uh, you know, the air was going to warm up and this uh, COVID-19 and coronavirus would just be gone. Um, But that's not the case. I think a lot of it's because this is just a really stubborn virus that refuses to leave us alone. And uh, I think it's also because we are very stubborn and refuse to uh, not follow recommendations made by people who understand what they're talking about, you know, like top men. And truth be told, I'm dreading going back to work. I am excited about going back to work, but I'm also dreading it. I'm excited about, uh, waking up every morning and having a place to go. I'm excited about seeing my students again. I'm excited about uh, talking again about things that I care about all day long. You know, that's all that you can wish for in a job is just to wake up every morning and go someplace that you enjoy being at. But I am dreading wearing a mask all day. You know, I'm dreading going in all day and just feeling that, 
you know, hot moisture, you know, that collects on that cloth mask when you've been talking into it. I'm dreading having to eat everything through a face shield like uh, John Travolta in that movie where he's in the bubble, you know, and just dreading a lot of it, you know. So I wrote a poem called 10 Things I Hate About You, COVID, inspired by the great film from oh so many years ago. Here it goes. Get a shot of whiskey first. I hate the way you stalk me and the way you're in the air. I hate the way you make me always wear a mask. And if I don't, I hate the way people stare. I hate the way you make me air high five and give air fist bumps to boot. I hate you so much it makes me sick, which is your intended vibe. I hate the way you're out of sight, but never out of mind. I hate the way you make us fight and make us be unkind. But mostly, I hate the way you won't go away. Not for a minute, not for an hour, and not for a day. Keep in mind, I teach kids how to write for a living. So normally, you know, people pay me to uh, to do what I just did here for you for free. So there you go. That's going to do it for tonight's Midnight Citizen Show. Thank you so much for joining me here in the studio in Birmingham, Alabama. Remember, I am live over at uh, MikeBooty.com slash The Midnight Citizen. That's where you can find my shows, my archives, my writing, everything. I may not publish that poem. I don't know. It may not be ready for prime time. But anyway, what else we got? Uh, also over at youtube.com slash Mike Booty. You can find me at facebook.com slash the Midnight Citizen. Twitter at Mike Booty. I'm everywhere. And yeah, I, again, I, I, you know, I said at the beginning uh, that I, I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen with this show now that I'm, uh, now that summer's, now that summer's over and school's starting again. Am I going to be able to do this every Saturday night? It does take up quite a bit of time, but I am going to try my best to continue the show. The Really, the best way to kind of ensure that this show continues, if you're listening right now, what I would really appreciate is for you to share this with somebody, okay? Now, I've never asked this of anybody before. If you like the Midnight Citizen show and you enjoy it, okay, I would ask you, and you don't have to go on Facebook or Twitter or whatever and give links or anything like that. I would ask you just to tell somebody about it, okay? Tell somebody about the Midnight Citizen show. I've never done this before, okay? But I have done a lot of work on this show this summer, and it's uh, been very important to me. And uh, I've every, I've, I've, this has been one of the most productive summers I've ever had, honestly. I wrote down things that I did this summer. Um, where is it? I don't know. Yeah, I built a new website for the Midnight Citizen show. That's one thing I did. I did eight Midnight Citizen podcasts. This this episode makes nine. 
I wrote 99 pages of original short fiction for this show. If you have been listening to me this summer, you know that I've been writing these tales from Viscaga, Alabama. And I've written, I've completed five of them. And I meant to do more, but just summer got in the way. But all in all, I put them onto a, like their, like one document the other night. It came out to 99 pages that I wrote for this podcast since mid-May. Um, that's a, that's a bunch of stuff for me. So I put a lot of work into the show this summer and I'm not trying to like, you know, seek gratitude or anything like that at all. I, I do this show first and foremost to me, for me, to me, for me. Okay. That's that whiskey getting to me. All right. But I would like to continue it, but in order to continue it, what I would really like is just, you know, a, some, some response. Okay. And I, again, I, I now I've never done this before on the show. All right. But if you are listening right now, I would encourage you to just tell somebody about the show, go to work, just tell somebody, this is what I listen to on Saturday night. Okay. And maybe we can start building up a little bit of a network tonight. Okay. And that would be awesome. That would be fantastic. Just a fantastic midnight citizen network. This is something I never do. I never go on here begging anybody. Okay. I, you know, I, every time the NPR pledge drive comes on, I turn the station off. All right. I don't like this. I don't like doing this, but you know what? Desperate times call for desperate measures. I want to continue to do this show, you know, but it also has to feel like, you know, I'm coming here every week and it sort of has a little bit of meaning to somebody else out there other than me, you know, um, because, uh, because that, I mean, like it or not, I'm a human being, you know, and that gives me a little bit of drive if, if somebody else out there sort of cares about this crap other than me. So anyway, yes, but thank you so much again for listening to the midnight citizen show and listening to that rant that I just went on. And, uh, I will see you next time. Yes. Keep your eyes open. 